You might not know it, but the, the wonderful late comedian Robin Williams was an Episcopalian. In point of fact, Williams was an evangelist of sorts. And he came up with a list of the, the top 10 reasons to be an Episcopalian. You can find this list online, so take opportunity for that. On the list were, were things like number six, pew aerobics. Number nine, you can believe in dinosaurs. But the number one reason Williams had or gave for being an Episcopalian was no matter what you believe, there's bound to be at least one other Episcopalian who agrees with you. And while it's a, a bit of a funny line, there is something revealing about this statement. For you see, the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition to which our church belongs has always appreciated a wide breadth of opinion on all sorts of issues and questions. For instance, there have always been Episcopalians who considered themselves to be Anglo-Catholics and who placed a great deal of emphasis on sacraments and liturgy. But so too, there have been so-called evangelicals with their emphasis on scripture and liberals who look to uphold the place of reason in the life of faith and everything in between. Traditionally, Episcopalians have looked to be comprehensive and to find a place for all sorts and conditions under a big theological tent. And while this big tent has been true in matters theological, it's also been true politically. Of course, the stereotype of the average Episcopalian these days is that we tend to be progressive politically. While 50 or 60 years ago, the Episcopal Church was often called the Republican Party of Prayer. Despite these stereotypes, our church has, has always been broad politically, just as broad politically as it has been theologically. In the Anglican tradition, we've had everything from royalists to socialists, sometimes in the very same person. We cover the whole of the political spectrum and have all sorts of diverse opinions. Indeed, Robin Williams was right about the Episcopal Church. No matter what you believe, there's undoubtedly at least one other Episcopalian who agrees with you. Now, I've always contended that the, the big tent of our tradition and the diversity of opinion it allows is ultimately a strength. This diversity ask, asks us to adopt a stance of, of humility, even about our most cherished beliefs and convictions. For it turns out, we actually just might be wrong, even when we fervently believe in something very strongly. We need our neighbor 
even the neighbor who disagrees with us, so that we might grasp the truth more fully. The reality of the Big Ten is not just true for our church. It is true for our society as well, and indeed is true for the whole human family. We live in a world of diverse and disparate beliefs. And one of our fundamental issues as, a, as human beings is how do we coexist? But I wonder, I, I wonder about the idea of the, the big tent in these times that are so polarized. Our world right now seems to be divided into camps. And everything that swirls around us asks us to choose our side. In times like ours, to cling to the notion of the big tent might be a choice for a mushy middle, lacking any conviction. Or it might be a spirit of going along to get along. As opposed to welcoming a diversity of opinions, the big tent can actually favor the status quo and therefore those in positions of power. It can be a way of choosing sides without appearing to choose. What do we make of a big tent in these days? The world seems broken and divided. This age seems to celebrate the notion of power for power's sake. Conspiracy theories are rampant. So too is violence. Fears, some justified and others unjustified, seem to rule the day. And as a result, we feel lost and confused. Like most of you, I find these days to be distressing and bewildering. It's hard to find our footing or know how we might best move forward, especially as a people with a shared commitment to the flourishing of one another. I believe that St. That Paul has a word for us today. In his letter to the Philippian, Paul asks his listeners to be of the same mind. Paul says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We might be tempted to think that Paul is calling on us to agree on everything. But that's not quite right. Instead, Paul points to Jesus. At the center of today's lesson, Paul shares the outline of the story of Jesus in the form of, a, of an early Christian hymn. This hymn speaks of Jesus in the terms of the, the self-emptying and glorification of Christ. Paul describes the, the whole sweep of the story of Jesus from the descent from pre-existence through an earthly ministry of self-giving to the ascension into vindication and exaltation. Indeed, Jesus comes to live and move 
among us for our sake, without concern for his own gain. Jesus' life is marked by self-giving love in surface to humanity and to the whole of creation. And it is in this way that Jesus is exalted and proclaimed Lord. Paul shares this rich Christological vision that grounds so much of the Christian view of God in seven wonderful verses. If you want to see a picture, the self-giving love of God, then ponder the mysteries of verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2 of the letter to the Philippians. For indeed, Paul contends that as Christians, we are a people who have been formed and shaped by this proclamation that in Christ, God gives God's self to us and for us. As Christians, we proclaim that the self-giving love of God sits at the very center of life, the universe, and everything. We proclaim that the the self-giving love of God is the very ground on which we stand. But with all this said, it might be easy to lose sight of why Paul offers this beautiful picture. Paul is not doing theology for theology's sake, but instead asking his listeners to live into this pattern so that they might be the same mind as Christ. If the life of God is marked by self-giving love, then so too our lives are meant to be marked by the same self-giving love. To be of the same mind is not that we all need to share the same opinions and convictions. Rather, to be of the same mind means that our theological and political convictions must, must be grounded in self-giving love. Our convictions are to be molded and shaped by the virtues and principles that Paul lifts up in this letter. We are to be committed to compassion and sympathy and love. We are to reject self-ambition and conceit, but instead embrace humility regarding others as better than ourselves. We're not to, to look to our own interests first, but toward the interest of others. This is part of what it means to have the mind of Christ. And this is the mind that we are to share with one another. In this polarized and desperate time, we are, we are called to, to build our common life on these values. I'm not trying to be Pollyanna, and I'm not trying to offer platitudes. Rather, I think what Paul offers us is a radical and revolutionary transformation. If we are to adopt the values that Paul offers us, then it would mean the transformation of our lives and our world. 
This revolution begins in our hearts, but it's meant to be realized in our lives and in our society and in the world around us. So let us ground our common life in the self-giving love of God revealed to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us find joy and hope in the knowledge that God has got us and that God will never let us go. And then let us live into that joy and into that hope by working for justice and peace in this world. Let us act out of compassion. Let us act out of sympathy. Let us act out of humility. And ultimately, let us act out of love. For indeed, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Amen.